This is the ninth message in this series, and the title today is Three of Your Worst Enemies. Why don't we just identify them very quickly so you will know exactly where we're going. You will notice in the first part of our reading, verses 8 through 10, that there is a challenge to the people who read to lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then it says, humble yourselves. The reason they were to weep and to mourn was their pride. There is the first enemy identified in this section. The second, verses 11 and 12, do not speak evil of one another. The word is criticism. The second enemy we face, criticism. And the third is what I call self-confidence. These people were saying, we're going to do thus and so tomorrow. And James says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do thus and so. The last message we preached to you from James was titled, The Enemies We Face, The Flesh, the World, and the Devil. The point of this whole chapter is that even after conversion, we battle enemies. And now he identifies three of our worst enemies before he moves to what riches can do to people in chapter 5. These are deadly enemies. They are especially deadly today when the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount have been relegated to past generations. Where do you learn of the dangers of these enemies in today's society except in settings like this? Not very many places will you even be told that the Ten Commandments are relevant today? Not too many places will you learn about the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus taught to all of us in that great message. Why is it that the National Endowment for the Arts has been vindicated by the courts with their filthy display of blasphemous and blatantly homosexual pictures and photographs of child nudity? There is only one answer, and that is that the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount are now history as far as our basic society is concerned. We are no longer governed by religious freedom. We are governed by the bigotry of people against what we learned when we were growing up. That's what makes this message and this entire book of James so important to a modern society. This is one pulpit where you will learn about these enemies. And you will because I Cherish your eternal soul for God. 
I don't want you to be caught up in the morass of filth and junk that is a part of our world today at seeming no cost to the individual. Yet there is a great cost. The Lord said from Leviticus on, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He said, Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. I was interested to read in the USA Today paper on March the 16th of this year an editorial by Barbara Reynolds, and I took it out and kept it. For the editorial was titled, Religion is Greatest Story Ever Missed. She asked in her article, what does the press have against Jesus? Is there a bias against Christianity? She pointed out that Peggy Say, sister to hostage Terry Anderson, has told media over and over again that it was her Christian faith that fueled her campaign to free her brother. She said, and I quote, I have often told reporters this, and I have almost given up on seeing it in print. They don't want to hear anything about faith. That article, which was much longer than what I have quoted for you today, sums up where we are in what has been called Christian America, which is as unchristian as many of the heathen nations of the world that have never claimed Christianity as their foundation, as we have. So the pulpit of the church, the Sunday school class of the church, the teaching arm of the church, becomes more and more important for you to plug into if you're interested in a cure for the enemies that we face. And they're there just as surely as you are here. Listen to what James says now as we look at these three enemies in a society that doesn't want to hear. Number one, the enemy of pride. Pride will send more people to hell than any other sin, in my opinion. Pride puts us at a distance from God. That's what pride does. That's what makes it so deadly. Pride puts us at a distance from God. It separates us from God. The problem then, during James' time, was that these people were living in pleasure, as indicated in verses 8 through 10, by his warning to them. They were laughing, and there's nothing wrong with laughing. They were having worldly joy, and there's nothing wrong with joy. But James says, you need to be sober and serious, and you need to put sin out of your life. The obvious, as you read this passage of Scripture, is that these people were distancing themselves from God by worldly things. 
and they didn't need God anymore. And James comes along and says, you'd better turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to sorrow. And then he said something interesting that he had already told them in previous verses. He says, you're double-minded. This brings instability into any life and into any civilization. Double-mindedness. What does that mean? It means that they have an idea about God and they have a feeling that there's something out there, but they are totally confused by what they see around them and they move more and more toward the things of time rather than the things of eternity. I was interested in reading a letter to the editor in yesterday's paper on the religion page from a, an individual who was commenting about previous articles in the newspaper and he said, I gave up my idea of Jesus Christ though I once believed in him and gave his reasons, but right at the end, he said, but I'm still afraid to die. Well, that's where a lot of people are. And it's what I call double-mindedness. They have a lot of reasons why they can't believe in God and they can't follow Jesus Christ. It's because of what some relative did or because of what some preacher did or hypocrisy in the church, all kinds of reasons. But they don't stand up with the pure and the true. There is always the pure. There is always the true in anything if you look for it. But if you're only looking for a way out, if you're only looking for an excuse, then you'll find that too. And it's the easy way out. So what's the antidote? The antidote is the first word of verse 10. Humble yourselves. Henry Jacobson said, humility is the ability to see ourselves as God describes us. Boy, that is a potent statement. Humility is the ability to see ourselves as God describes us. That's what a lot of folk in the world don't want to accept. This God of love who does all of this, when it isn't God that's doing it at all, it's man's rebellion that is bringing the natural consequence to our world. Humility is to be able to see ourselves as God describes us, sinful, needy, Polluted, as Isaiah said, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, a people that have gone away backward, who call evil good and good evil. That's what humility is. It's to be able to say, God, that's true. That's true about man. That's what makes men abuse their daughters in their own homes. It's filthy. It's sin. It's deadly. It's destructive. It's what makes people rape and kill and steal and destroy. It's sin. It separates man from God. And it's in every one of us. 
the way to solve it is simple. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Get down before God and say, I'm a sinner. I have this filthiness. And I know the only cure is the blood of Jesus Christ. What is the opposite of humility? Maybe that would be helpful. There are several words that give us the other side of humility. One of them is exalted. Another one is mighty. Another one is haughty. Another is affected. Another is glorified. That's the opposite. And that's where man is going. We can solve our own problems. We will chart our own course. As I said, we have basically forgotten and banned the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount from our vocabulary these days. Might be well for you to look at the opening of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and see what Jesus said is the way to heaven and the way to God and the way to happiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, that can be translated, blessed are the humble, or blessed are the disciplined, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Where are they today, my friends? Where are they? Where are the poor in spirit? Where are the meek? Where are those that hunger and thirst after God? Where are those who are pure in heart? They even come into the house of God to plunder the house of God. We have things stolen around here all the time. They don't even respect the house of God. We have microphones stolen right off the platform. We have cars stolen out of the parking lot. We have television monitors stolen out of the rooms. They tried to break into the safe and burn it open during the night. It's a constant battle. We have to hire security guards to protect the investment of God's people because the meek are not here. The pure in heart are not here. This world has become a cesspool of iniquity and there is an answer. It's humble yourself. Humble yourself. Sir, you're not as big as you think you are. Lady, you're not as sophisticated as you think you are. Before God, we're sinners. We're polluted. We need the forgiveness of a holy God who actually offers us His heaven and His righteousness if we will humble ourselves under His mighty hand. Pride, pride, pride. C.S. Lewis said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. 
The devil found out that anyone that gets too big for his britches will be exposed in the end. And you'll find it out too. Humble yourself. Pride, one of your worst enemies. I dare say there isn't a one of us in this room that does not battle that in some way. We battle it during the worship time. Well, I can't raise my hand. What would people think? You see, so stupid. Who cares? If you want to exalt God, exalt God. Oh, I can't come to that altar. What will somebody think? Why, somebody may know me here. Who cares? Get right with God. Humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God. Oh, I couldn't stand out on the street holding a sign, abortion kills children. What would somebody think? Who cares what somebody thinks? Do what's right. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. That's what's important. One of your worst enemies. Well, the second is the enemy of criticism. Verses 11 and 12, and it's the tongue again. Remember we preached on, is your tongue sticking out? Back in the first chapter, the 19th verse, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And then over in the third chapter, in the fifth verse, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity, the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And here we are now in chapter 4, and he comes back to the tongue again. The danger of criticism. We need to realize that the Bible condemns the sin of malicious and irresponsible gossip almost more than any other sin. I said almost more than any other sin. The Bible condemns the sin of malicious and irresponsible gossip. Do you want to know why I think it does? Because it's a violation of both Old and New Testament concepts where you love God with all your heart and then you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you're gossiping about everybody and you're judging everybody, you're violating the very thing that God and His Son Jesus Christ told us. Love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? It's not just everybody you like. It's the wounded man in the gutter who needs you. The one who dresses differently than you do, as well as the one who dresses just like you. It's the one who is from a lower strata, even as it is for the one from the same strata. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what James is talking about here is a violation of that very commandment. But also, it is God's prerogative to judge, not man's. Verse 12 tells us that the right of judgment belongs to God alone. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? We are not to come to church judging everybody else that's here. We're to judge ourselves before the Holy Spirit of God. Who are you to judge another? 
Friends, watch your tongue. Watch your tongue. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. There's so much of this around today. It shows up in correspondence. It shows up in letters to the editor. It, there's just a lot of hate and a lot of anger and a lot of judgment going on. And we need to begin to do what the Word of God instructs. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Speak less, think more, and certainly love more. How do you see others? Could I ask you that question? How do you see others? You know that every person is made in the image of God, and there's beauty there. There has to be if we're all made in the image of God. There's beauty there. August Renoir, the great French Impressionist, seemed to put light inside the people he so beautifully portrayed on canvas. But the last 20 years of his life, I learned, he had crippling arthritis. His hands were twisted and gnarled. Even his spine was affected so that he could not actually stand when he worked. He had to sit down. The pain suffered would literally bring perspiration to his forehead, a crippling arthritis. One day, one of his students by the name of Matisse said to Renoir, why do you torture yourself to go on like this? And the great Impressionist replied, the pain passes, the beauty remains. I love that response because it fits this particular enemy that we face, the enemy of criticism. It's not always easy to accept others. It's not always easy to take the humble road, but in the end, the beauty will be there. But in the end, there will be glory, and there will be rays of light, and you will be joyous. When whatever pain you go through, to do it like Jesus said it ought to be done, there will come effervescence and meaning and purpose. My cousin's fourth child was a mongoloid baby, lived seven years, never grew out of infancy physically. Diapers, seven years, never, never grew, just was about this big at seven years when finally the Lord took this little one home. But I shall never forget my cousin's response when that little fellow slipped away. His name was Jimmy, when little Jimmy went to be with Jesus. She said Jimmy was a special gift from God to our family. He drew us closer together, though we had to watch over him every moment of every day and night for seven years. Jimmy was a blessing to us, and with tears, the whole family said goodbye for a time to little Jimmy. You see, not everybody that's born into this world is beautiful and just like we are, but they are beautiful in the sight of God. And we are not to criticize, and we are not to form our judgments. We are to reach out and love and caress and heal in his name and for his sake. Be his arms extended to one another. 
Do it in the church, my friend. Do it at home. Do it on the job. Reach out and touch somebody. If the waitress looks a little down, just give a little word of encouragement. I was so impressed with one of our staff members Friday morning when we went out to breakfast. There were 13 of us sitting in a restaurant, and the waitress, whose name was Shirley, came by, and one of our staff members said, Shirley, your hair really looks nice this morning. Well, Shirley sure waited on us. I'll tell you, I was proud of that staff member. Just a word, just a touch, a good tip. Don't get me started on that now. You are Jesus. You are Jesus to those out there and those around you here. And you're to be loving and touching in his name. Don't judge. That's the second big enemy, criticism. Thirdly, the enemy of self-confidence, and I've got to hurry. Verses 13 to 17 we are living in a day of self-helps. There's so many available. Man, I turn on the TV and particularly some of these odd stations, you get all of these guys who have these classes and seminars and you can buy for $49.95 or $89.95 their whole set of tapes and they're going to tell you how to succeed. You know you don't need to spend a dime on that other than the Bible you've got in your hand. You've already invested enough. Sure, the tapes, the books, the lectures, the seminars, they all say, look what I've done. You see, that's what's so deadly about it. They're saying, this is how I did it. This is how I got to be so beautiful. How I got to be so wonderful. Now you can be like me. That's the deadliness of it. It's so deceiving. It's no sin to be a success. I believe in success because you can help a lot of people on the way. But the sin is to forget God in the process. And that's what man has done. That's what society has done. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. This is how I got here. This is the ladder I climbed. No reason you can't do the same. They left out God. You know who it reminds me of? Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, when he was warned, he still looked over Babylon and he said one day, is not this the great Babylon that I have built? And he gave not God the glory and God drove him to the fields for seven years like an animal. And then his reason returned to him and he gave God the glory. You talk about a penalty for self-confidence, he paid a great price. And so will we if we forget God in the process of our development. Notice what James observes here in this passage of Scripture. You don't know about tomorrow. Only God knows. Life is uncertain. Job said in chapter 7, verse 7, Oh, remember that my life is a breath. 
The Bible says it's quicker than a weaver's shuttle. As fast as that shuttle can move, that's the way life is. It's like a puff of smoke coming out the chimney. It's like a cloud going overhead. It's here and then it's gone, neighbor. And we've got our plans laid. Boy, have we ever. And they don't include God very often. And that's the danger. Psalm 102.3 says it is like smoke or a cloud that comes and goes. What should we do? We should say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. There are Christians who never take God into consideration. Some of you here today are in business. You never pray about the buildings you build, about the deals you make, about the partners you take. That's what James is talking about. Hear me, church. You don't live a day without saying, God, what is your will for me? The reason we have to have so many counselors in our society today is because people are doing exactly what James said. Making all these plans for tomorrow when you ought to be saying, if the Lord wills, we will do thus and so. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 12 for a final illustration. I can think of no better illustrator than Jesus himself. Luke 12, 16 to 21 gives us such an illustration where Jesus speaks a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater in there. I will store up all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's what James is talking about. I will. I will. I will. What does God will? And then verse 17 the last verse of this passage shows us the sin by neglect. The old Puritans used to talk about sins of omission as well as sins of commission. How many ever heard that term, sins of omission? That came from the old Puritans. It's what we do not do. You can say, I've never been drunk or I've never committed adultery or whatever, but have you known to do good and have not done it? Have you invested your life in kingdom work? I mean, if we could somehow squeeze your life through a, a blender of some kind and there were different shoots from that blender and one was labeled Christian work, how much would come out Christian work or kingdom work as against 
the things of time. Sobering. And we don't like to think about it, that omission is sin, leaving out things that we should have done. Instead of boasting about the things that we were able to keep from doing because we classified them as evil or sin, God is saying, what about the things you should have done and haven't done? The weightier things of the law, he talks about. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If you know it is good to be faithful to God's house and you don't do it, it's sin. It's not just staying home because you're tired. It's S-I-N. You omit the Bible, it's S-I-N. You omit prayer, it's S-I-N. It just isn't laziness, it's sin. Because the Bible says so. Oh, you say, preacher, you're too hard. Well, I'm probably going to get harder the way I see things going because I remind you again, I cherish your soul too much. Now, these are not your only enemies, pride, criticism, and self-confidence, but they are among the worst. And they're the ones that the Holy Spirit directed James to write about, so I want you to do something about them. How can we conquer these enemies? For an illustration, perhaps it would be well to look at the difference in a couple when they are courting and when they are in court. When they are courting, the thing each is thinking about is how much he can do to please the other and how happy he can make the other. But after a while, when the marriage is broken up and they find themselves in court, Frequently, each is trying to see how little he can get by with doing for the other. Sometimes it even seems that each is trying to see how miserable he can make the other. Isn't that interesting that the wording is almost the same, courting and court, but the difference is in the attitude. Does that help you? That really helped me. What side are you on? Are you trying to show God how much you love him and appreciate him and how grateful you are for his blessings to you, or are you trying to alienate yourself from God by pride, criticism, and self-confidence? We must live under the impulse of love and never let down our guard because the enemy as a roaring lion seeketh whom he may devour. I read something I'd never read before this week about the shooting of Abraham Lincoln. The man that was supposed to guard Lincoln his name was Parker, and his duty was to be with the president that night in the theater. And when he faced Mrs. Lincoln, he was trembling with grief when the president had died. And he said to Mrs. Lincoln, I have bitterly repented, but I did not believe that anyone would try to kill so good a man in such a public place. The belief made me careless. I was attracted by the play and did not see the assassin enter the box. I've never read that before till this week, and the Holy Spirit said that's the way it is with your people. They have good intentions, but they didn't realize that the devil could be so cunning and so deceitful 
And I got absorbed with the play that's going on. And I got caught up in all the, the videos and all the sports and all the things. And I just relegated God outside the box. That's exactly the way the devil likes it. If he can put you to sleep, he's got you where he wants you. That's why the preacher has to get loud to wake you up. Because there are enemies that are stalking your footsteps. And the first one is pride, the second one is criticism, and the third one is self-confidence. And all of them will destroy you if they're not dealt with from the heart. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to ask Jesus to help us. The enemy could even come in right now and detour you by somebody moving, so let's all try to be as reverent as we can. We want eternal life, and we want God's blessing while we're on our way. And that's what church is all about today, to deal with these things that the Holy Spirit has directed us to mention. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we thank you for another opportunity of gathering in this wonderful place. We thank you for the open word of God that is before us, and we want to take it just as purely as it was given to us. Help us to understand it. Help us to see the heart of James here who was trying to save us from heartache and judgment to come. So he instructed us to humble ourselves. He instructed us to judge not, to guard our tongue against criticism because it pollutes the soul of men. And then he adjured us not to be so wrapped up in our plans for tomorrow and our building and our carrying on that we forget to say, God, what is your will? What is your will for marriage? What is your will for job? What is your will for college? What is your will for the future? Lord, I want your will. Save us from this self-confident world that says, look what I have done. Holy Spirit, come, I pray, and touch this assembled host with your Spirit's power. Now, with our heads bowed, let me ask you to respond in a bold way. How many of you would be able to say, Pastor Cole, pride has really been a problem with me? I know it. I can see it. And I'm just going to stomp pride in the head by standing to my feet right where I am now and ask you to pray for me in these closing moments of church. Pride, that enemy of pride, I know it has hindered me, and it is hindering me now in my spiritual walk. Would you stand up? Just get right up to your feet. We're going to take the first enemy, pride. Pride. It's holding me back. Holding me back. Keeps me tied up. Pride. All right? Number two, criticism. I've been judging others. It's hurt my spirit. I know it. I haven't guarded my tongue. It's an enemy. It's going to hurt me and condemn me if I don't deal with it. Would you stand right now? It's criticism. That's your enemy. Just stand right up. Come on. Stomp it in the head right now by getting up. Stand up. Criticism. 
Good. Number three is self-confidence. Look what I have done. I think I can handle it, so I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to counsel with a godly person about it. I can just figure it out all by myself. Self-confidence. You've gotten the tapes. <laughs> You've even gone to the seminars, maybe. But now you're going to say, I see it as an enemy. Would you stand right where you are? Just stand to your feet. Stand right up. What we ought to say is, Lord, what would you have me to do? What is your will? God bless you, honest, humble folk. I thank God for you. Now let's all stand and let's reach out to each other in prayer as the pastor leads us. Father, I thank you for these hundreds of people that stood up a moment ago identifying one of these enemies in their life and maybe even more than one. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Spirit of God, sweep through this room. Cleanse us. Raise your hand, friend. Say, cleanse me. Say it right out loud. Cleanse me. Cleanse me, Jesus. Wash me, Jesus. Make me whole, Jesus. Say it right out loud. Make me whole, Jesus. Come on, louder. Make me whole, Jesus. I want to be like you. I want to be a real Christian. I want to be ready for eternity. Touch me, Jesus. Touch me now, Jesus. Now thank him for it. Keep that hand up and thank him for it. Rejoice in it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Oh, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.